This is Dr. Rob Harder with the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, making your world better. What does it take to be an effective nonprofit leader today? What are the biggest challenges? What are the biggest obstacles? How should nonprofits fundraise in an economy that is constantly changing? All of these reasons combined led me to start this show. And it's my hope that through this series, people can learn not only what it takes to be an effective nonprofit organization, but to hear from effective leaders who are successfully making a positive impact in their communities. We hope you enjoy the show as together we hear how they are making their world better. Well, one of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is getting the right information so you can make solid financial decisions to help your organization thrive. Well, to do this, you need the best accounting and donation software. Researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Aplos just might be the solution you're looking for. Aplos is made specifically for nonprofits to manage fund accounting, donations, and your people. So go to nonprofit.aplos.com to see how it works and get your 15-day free trial. Welcome, everybody, to the show. COVID-19 has impacted us all, especially those in the nonprofit sector. Well, today I have a fascinating guest who has worked with organizations that have had impact all over the world. Today, she is the head of one of the largest and most well-known foundations in the country, the Walton Family Foundation. My guest today is Carol Stern, the executive director of the Walton Family Foundation. I had a fascinating conversation with her as she shared her insights on how foundations, first of all, are responding to this crisis, and then what she is learning from the research their foundation is doing, especially around the next emerging generations, the millennials and Gen Z. You are definitely going to enjoy today's show. Well, Carol, it's great to have you on the show today. Your foundation is doing remarkable work in some of the most challenging places in the world. And recently, you have moved from leading a nonprofit seeking funding at UNICEF to now the head of one of the largest and well-known foundations in the country, the Walton Family Foundation. Tell us a bit about how you've transitioned from asking for funding to primarily giving out funding. What are you learning along the way? Great question, and, and and one that obviously I gave a lot of thought to when I made the transition from one side of the desk to the other. First of all, I'm, I love this role. I mean, it's really exciting to be here. It's great to be part of this conversation with you as well. And the Walton Family Foundation, you know, at our core, it's a family-led foundation, and we are dedicated to creating access to opportunity for people and for communities. And we do that by improving K through 12 education. We do that through oceans and, and river conservation. And we do it by investing in the quality of life of what we call our home region, the communities where our founders, Sam and Helen Walton, first found opportunity right here in northwest Arkansas, where I'm sitting and talking to you today, as well as the kind of Arkansas, Mississippi Delta area. So, you know, I spent 14 years heading up UNICEF USA and raising money, public support, running around the world. And when I tried to think about my what next, I thought, I really want to do something that has impact, equal impact if possible, and is going to stretch my brain a little, thing, something I have to learn about. And then also, maybe something I've never done before. And when this opportunity arose, I thought, whoa, this is it. And I will say crossing the desk, everybody always thinks, oh, it would be so great to just give the money away. It is as hard and as big um, a responsibility and challenge to find the right match between funding and funder and kind of fundee, if you will, as it is to sit on the side of the desk and raise the dollars. 
You know, that's really interesting. I appreciate your honesty on that. And, and I think most people would not think that. I think you would, the average person would say, well, it's easier just to, you know, hand out money and give it to others, uh, but managing it maybe is more difficult. So thank you for that perspective. All right. Now, what an interesting year. You're new at this foundation. You just uh, started this year. A great year to start a brand new job. Now, of course, COVID-19, and I think you've been on many shows already talking about this. It has impacted us all, especially the nonprofit sector that relies on donations. So how has COVID impacted your foundation and perhaps changed the priorities of where and to whom you give? You know, it's interesting. When I took this job, the last thing I thought would be relevant was previous experience in emergency response. But boy, this year has proved that wrong. You know, for our foundation, I think the, our first priority when, when COVID hit was, you know, obviously the safety and security of our own team, our own staff, you know. But after that was supporting our grantees. How do we work with those we're already working with and ensure their success? And we began working literally around the clock to understand what the impact was of the coronavirus on each of the, the organizations and the work that we were already supporting. And we knew we couldn't solve every problem they were having, but we wanted to at least think about, you know, how are we going to come out of this moment in history? We need to be responsive to their needs. So we listened a lot in the beginning. And I worked really closely with Bridgespan on kind of figuring out a model for how to think about giving during this period. I think the lessons come, you know, are whatever was true before COVID is still true today and is, if anything, more true today. You know, disparities got bigger, inequities were spotlighted, um, and we began to recognize that there was this urgent need for additional resources. And the foundation immediately responded with a $35 million fund to address the pandemic impact on our grantees' work. And in addition to that, the the Walton family members have supported communities across the country, really across the country, with more than $180 million in COVID response. So it's had a big impact on us, but I think, you know, we've learned some lessons. You know, we've learned it's important to stay in your lane, and we told our grantees that. You know, don't, don't, if you're not a food bank, don't become a food bank. We learned that while we thought initially small organizations would find it difficult to sustain themselves, for many of our smaller organizations, their their expenses were so low that they were able to, while some of our larger organizations were facing greater difficulties. So it was a, gr- a really good learning lesson for all of us. You know, I think it's really interesting about listening and, again, learning. I'm glad to hear that. And I do think you know, we've had guests on the show talk about just leadership in general. One of the most important traits is to be a good listener uh, because the more you listen, the more you learn. And I'd love to hear that uh, you at a large foundation that you're in, you're listening and that's helping you be a better philanthropist and, and a better grantor. Um, now, what advice would you give to nonprofit leaders today who are listening to this as to what and who foundations are looking to fund, say, over the next six months or even up to two years in light of all that's going on? Well, you know, I, I think we started with this, and I've learned this from my past emergency experience, that there is a sprint and there is a marathon. You know, having worked in earthquake response or flood response or um, not pandemic, but epidemic response in the past. There's always that immediate rescue and recovery period, and I think we all went through that. How do we, what do we do immediately? How do we get PPE into the hands that needed it? How do we set up triage? You know, all of that. But there's also a marathon. There's that long-term response. And so, 
you know, as I said to you earlier, you know, A, stay in your lane. If you don't know how to do the food bank, don't start doing it. There are people who know how to do it and will do it better. Support their ability to do it. But look at what you do and you know how to do and think about how what you know how to do can help in this crisis. We know right now, for example, education. Education is a, is a major crisis for the country right now, not only for the learning gap and not only for the digital divide that we're, we're bearing witness to, but school is normalcy for our kids. School is our safety net. You know, not only do our kids learn reading, writing, and arithmetic, but school is the place where someone notices if a child is wearing the same clothes too many days in a row, if a child is suddenly quiet. School is a place where if a child has bruises on their body, it's going to be seen. School is a place where kids get to socialize and test out life skills. And when we take all of that away, as has happened this year, we take away a safety net. School is also a place where a lot of kids get that hot meal every day. So we take away some very basic pieces of a child's life. And so one of the things we're looking closely at right now is kind of the psychosocial support of children. How do we ensure that they're okay during this pandemic? I understand that the Walton Foundation is doing a lot of research on the next two generations coming up, the millennials and Gen Z. With the millennials as today's largest generation living in America, and in Generation Z, of course, whose influence is growing really quickly, particularly with social media, the Walton Foundation is partnering with Echelon Insights, I understand, to find out what these two generations of Americans think about their own futures. So I'd love to hear, uh, give us a few things from this research, starting with what has surprised you the most through your research so far? Well, you know, it's been really interesting. I often describe, you know, a foundation as kind of that space between standing on the shoulders of those who come before us and the world we're going to leave behind for the children who will inherit it. And that's kind of where the foundation works. You know, we have a legacy of, of a family that set us up, but we're all about what's tomorrow. And if we're all about what's tomorrow, we got to go find out what tomorrow's leaders want, think, and that that's really behind our our research, and I think what has surprised me the most, you know, God, we learned so much from this research. I think, you know, despite growing up in the shadow of 9-11, of two wars, of a financial crisis, and now in the midst of a global pandemic, okay, millennials and Gen Zs were optimistic. You know, they were really optimistic about their futures, and they most, most of them believe that the American dream is within their reach. And I I was fearful as we under, as we began this that we were going to learn that, that pessimism had set in, and that is not what we learned. As a matter of fact, we found that nearly half of young Americans expect to have a better life than their parents, so which is amazing. And then, and that number even went up when we, you know, when you break it down further, six in ten Black, Latino, and Asian respondents reported even greater optimism than that. So. I think the optimism was refreshing and exciting to us. And I think also on top of that, we learned that the American dream means something different, though, to, to Gen Z and, and millennials. You know, my generation, I won't give my age, but my generation is not either of those. <laughs> um, my generation, the American dream was a house and a picket fence, two and a half kids and a dog. Okay, that, that's not the current generation's American dream. What they see as the American dream is having the opportunity to build a life they dream of. Like, they get to define it on their terms, but that America gives them the opportunity to both define it and achieve it. That's the American dream. And I think that's that's refreshing. 
I like that. Now it's really interesting and it is refreshing. Um, you know, as we stay on this project, uh, that this research project you're doing, what do they fear will stand in their way? And perhaps how has COVID impacted that from what you can see? Well, you know, 62% of the millennials and the Gen Zs say that the pandemic has definitely made it harder for them to succeed in life, you know. But almost all believe they're going to move beyond the effects of this virus. Like, this is going to end and we're going to come out the other side. Eight in ten said that they believe having a high-quality education is very important to that better life. But 43% say higher education is too expensive or hard to access for them, which is a very interesting. I thought that number was really, really interesting. And then the other thing that I thought really stood out to me is that 74% say that the environment is my community and that clean air and water are so absolutely essential. So they're really concerned about the environment when they think in terms of their future. You know, I, I think for 20 and 30 year olds, I mean, th- I think back on my life at that age and it was all about, it was very social, you know, it was a time in which I defined where I wanted to live, what organizations I wanted to be active in, what causes mattered. Most people meet a partner during that period. And now all of that, too, for this age group is, is much more restrictive. So I'm sure it's a very difficult time for millennials and Gen Zers. But again, they're optimistic. They believe we're going to come out the other side. Well, one of the challenges for an effective nonprofit leader right now is getting the right information so you can make solid financial decisions to help your organization thrive. Well, to do this, you need the best accounting and donation software. Researching, learning, and maintaining software can get really costly. So let me save you some time and money. Aplos just might be the solution you're looking for. Aplos is made specifically for nonprofits to manage fund accounting, donations, and your people. So go to nonprofit.aplos.com to see how it works and get your 15-day free trial. Hey everybody, Rob here. Thanks so much for listening to the Nonprofit Leadership Podcast. If this is your first time listening to us, I wanted to make sure you're aware of a whole group of other episodes with fascinating guests that I previously interviewed. Just go to our website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. There you'll find numerous interviews of nonprofit leaders from all over the country and even from different countries, all trying to make their world better. I also want to make sure you knew about how to get some more great content. When you go to our website, just look at the top right section of the homepage under the words subscribe. You can simply type in your email address and then you will be added to our monthly email update. In addition to getting great access to some superb content, you will get the latest podcast shows right to your inbox. Now, this way you'll never miss any of the interviews or content on this show. If you have any questions or comments, do not hesitate to email us. Thanks again for listening. Now back to the show. Okay, now you've had a lot of research. I've learned that education and the environment are two of the top priorities in terms of what you do there at the Walton Family Foundation. Why are these values so important to you? And why are they so important to these generations? And how should we as leaders respond to these priorities in your opinion? You know, I think when it comes to education, and I'm going to bastardize the quote a little, but Thomas Jefferson had a quote, and it's something like, if we solve all the problems of the world and we fail to solve the problems of education, then our children are going to destroy what we bequeath them. But if we solve only the problem of education, our children will solve the problems of the world. And I believe that, and I know our foundation believes that. And I saw time and again as I traveled the world for UNICEF that education was the only tool in the arsenal that truly interrupted a cycle of poverty, 
that truly open doors to alternative lives and to opportunity. And so, you know, I think you'd be hard-pressed to um, to argue that education is not a critical factor to success. In terms of the environment, you know, it's an interesting thing. This is our planet. The planet is our community, and we have to take care of her health. And I grew up in a home where we definitely believed that we have to leave the earth better than we found her. And unfortunately, we've gone through long periods of time where that's been a neglected part of our lives. And I think the current generation sees the value in that and is demanding it. And I applaud them for it. Yeah, well said. And, you know, as we move towards leadership, uh, this podcast is all about leadership. And you've had a lot of leadership experience. And that's one of the reasons I was excited to have you on the show. Could you share a bit about the biggest challenges you are facing in leadership right now at the foundation? And how are you tackling them? Well, you know, I, I, I keep kidding everybody that I'm going to write a book one day called Onboarding in the Days of COVID. You know, I, I literally had five weeks in, in the office before COVID hit and we went to work from home. And we have offices in several cities and I hadn't even met all of the staff so that my first few Zoom meetings, I found myself, you know, with multiple screens and while someone was talking, looking up on the other screen, do they work for me? You know, <laughs> so it was a real challenge to... uh to think about how do I form a relationship with these people and only have access to them through a computer? And similarly, how do I take my leadership team, the senior top of the, of the pyramid here, and coalesce them into a team with me because I, I am a believer in teams, and how do I do that? And so some of it was fun things we did. You know, we, we tried to just keep humor and keep optimism I think it's really important right now as leaders that we remember this is a tough time. And when tough times hit, we're not always at our best. And so patience is a virtue. And I think even more so right now, we have to understand that however bad our day may be, our employees are struggling with those same issues. They have kids at home. They have pets at home that are going to bark. They have um, noises outside because the neighbor is mowing the lawn, and we're just going to have to put up with that. But as leaders, we also not only do to put up with that, but, but we should make it part of our lives. So I love now when a kid is sitting in on one of our meetings. Sit on your mom or dad's lap. Join us. Tell me what you think. Because rather than fight it, join it. Um, I think as leaders also, we have to go the extra mile to ask how those who work for us are. Similar to what I said about children out of school where no one's going to notice, it's harder to notice on a screen. So actually asking, taking time one-on-one -on -one to have conversations and just say, how's it going? How are you handling this? Can we provide something else for you? We really beefed up our support services for our teams once we went to work from home. And I think as leaders, that's a primary responsibility right now. Well, I think you definitely should write that book because what again, what a great year <laughs> to start your new job and, and you write all those things you talked about with Zoom and the challenges of working from home and being isolated and separate from your team. Uh, I know, again, I've had multiple people on the show that that's a reality and it's very difficult. And sometimes, like you said, you have to let those things go uh, and focus on those key things that do bring you together and what your mission is. I'm curious, you know, with your, again, you've had so much good experience. Is there a leader or two that you really look up to uh, either who lives currently or maybe from the past that has really shaped your style of leadership? You know, it's really interesting. This is not someone you're going to find, you know, in a leadership book necessarily, but I look to my mom, 
my mom is a uh, a child of the Holocaust. She came to this country at the age of six with her brother who was four. They were raised in an orphanage for many years. It was 10 years till the family was thankfully reunited. And she led by, first of all, as soon as we always tease her, as soon as you could hold your own bottle, you had a sign in your hand. But she taught us early on the significance of her voice, of using our voice and using it productively and using it in ways that promote conflict resolution, not up the heat. And I think so much of what I do and whatever wisdom I may bring to it, I got from her. I also, you know, had the privilege to be part of the team that built the Martin Luther King Memorial in Washington and through that had access to a lot of notes and more private writings of um, someone who I consider to be one of our nation's greatest leaders ever. And I think I learned more from his writings and, and, and as a younger person from watching him on television and listening to him speak, he had a dramatic impact on my life. A final question about fundraising. You know, from a foundation's perspective, with the trends in our society coupled with the challenges of COVID-19, do you believe that today's nonprofits need to begin to retool their fundraising strategy? And if so, why and how? And if not, why not? Well, I think all of us have to retool our, our some of our strategies. You know, I, I have over 40 years of fundraising experience, and I think so much of it is about relationships. And again, Defining how you create and sustain those relationships when you can't have that personal opportunity to, to break bread together, to travel together, you know, is hard. And so I think foundations who are granting, but then I think nonprofits who are fundraising, we all have to take a step back and say, how are we going to consciously change what we do to ensure that we continue to build relationships? So on that level, everybody has to. I think also there is obviously different competing priorities. When I was still on the fundraising side, we always looked at a can't, you know, a presidential election year as a year that you set your expectations a little lower because disposable income often went to political campaigns in that year in ways it didn't in other years. So this year we've got a pandemic and a presidential election. So I would imagine that has forced some retooling. And then also, I mean, nonprofits have to be able to think about the service they provided, the ability to continue to provide it in a COVID world and how, you know, how sustainable is it or, you know, if I as a donor, do I believe you're going to be able to provide that service today? And I think the hardest hit groups by that are the arts, you know, so many who are dependent on performance revenue. And so the fact that performances may not be able to take place live, and how are they accommodating that? I'm watching theaters, you know, who are doing outdoor performances. I'm watching some who are doing online performances. I'm, you know, I'm watching some amazing creativity, actually. And I hope that when we go back to being able to be together, we don't lose all of that, because some of that has made arts accessible to some who otherwise would never have gotten there. People that are listening are going to want to find out more about you, find out more about the Walton Family Foundation. How can people find out more about you? Do you have a social media page you'd recommend or, um, yeah, a website you'd like to send out? How could people get a hold of you? Well, you know, the Walton Family Foundation, you know, definitely has a website. It's all one word, waltonfamilyfoundation.org. Real easy. And if you go there, you can read stories of our grantees, you know, who are, they're the people on the ground actually doing the work. 
You can watch the videos. There's lots of great videos there that illustrate and showcase the efforts of the foundation. And you can take a look at the library of reports. We have done extensive research, and we do make all of that available to anyone who is interested. And then we're, you know, we're live and alive on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram, so you can look for the Walton Family Foundation on all three. I love it. That's excellent. Well, thank you for sharing that. And maybe one last word as we close out this interview. What has given you hope today that things will move forward and that uh, the future is brighter? You know, I think I'm just, you know, an optimist at heart, so I, I tend to always believe things can't get worse. They have to get better. But what's mostly giving me hope right now is in the midst of all of this, to see the voices of youth, to see the voter turnout, whether you agree or disagree, no matter who you voted for, look at the fact that America responded. Look at young people on their feet, expressing their views, understanding that their voices matter. I think that's phenomenal and exciting. And as an older American, I am so I'm just excited to be able to have the privilege to listen and to hear their thoughts because that's tomorrow. I love it. Well, again, to my listeners, my guest today has been Carol Stern, Executive Director of the Walton Family Foundation. Carol, thank you for all you're doing. I love your optimism. And I really love the fact that you provide all this research through the foundation for all of us nonprofit leaders. Such a great resource. Thanks for taking time to be on the show today. excited to have Aplos as the sponsor of this nonprofit podcast. And what's unique about Aplos is that they are dedicated not only to providing you with the best tools, but also to offering free training from their in-house experts and CPAs. Right now, you can get access to a solid webinar on five essential financial reports for nonprofit leaders. To get access, go to nonprofit.aplos.com. Hey, friends, I wanted you to know that this podcast can be found on both iTunes and Spotify. If you're wondering how to find it, just type in the words Nonprofit Leadership Podcast, and this podcast should show up. We also encourage you, when you go on iTunes, let us know what you think. Give us a review. Give us a rating. We would love to hear what you think of this podcast, and your feedback will help expand this podcast to get it out to as many people as possible. You can also find other resources and interviews of past guests on my website, nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Again, that website is nonprofitleadershippodcast.org. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, keep making your world better.